So um, a little bit about uh, some connections here for me and for Restore and for Two Rivers. Uh, I'm really, it's really a blessing to be here today. Um, we have prayed for this church in 2000, was it 15? Uh, I drove to, I think, Edenton to meet a guy uh, who had contacted uh, us and some other uh, churches in eastern North Carolina who were a part of planting churches here in eastern North Carolina. And I got there, and I met this guy. To be honest, he looked a little Jewish. I wasn't sure, you know, kind of what, what the whole story was, but he looked, he looked Middle Eastern at best and maybe Jewish. I was hoping Jewish. And so um, I met Roger and saw his heart. And we talked about and prayed about um, the idea of him coming with Aaron and their family, uh, Bowen and Sadie, to come to Newburn and uh, uh, to Jacksonville and start a church. And so later that year, um, I think it was that same year, they moved to Newburn and spent a year with us at Two Rivers. And um, I got to know them even more and got to really appreciate Roger and his family. And I hope that 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 year for them was a, a year of learning and growing and resting and finding the space to really dream about what God would do here. And, and it's so cool for me to stand here and see what God is doing. I mean, two years ago, there was nobody here on a Sunday morning. And I look at what God's doing, and uh, two years ago, there were no talks about moving three times in two years, right? I mean, it was just, it was just an idea. And so I'm really excited about what's happening here. I'm really, I'm really excited about what Roger's doing here. And um, I always kind of like to think of myself as sort of young-minded. Uh, I've always thought of myself as a young man. I did youth ministry for a long time before we moved to Newburn. And, um, you know, it was sometime during that year when Roger, uh, I don't know if he was mad at me that day or something, you know, or if I, you know, I was, I don't know if I offended him in some way, but he said, you know, Dave, we were having this conversation. He said, Dave, you know, you're, you're the same age as my dad. <laughs> I said, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And uh, so... And then there's another connection. Um, Josh is here, who led worship this morning. Uh, Josh attended our church in Two Rivers for several years before he um, got out of the Marine Corps, and uh, I don't know where he works now, and uh, still on base somewhere. And it wasn't long after he got out of the Marine Corps. Uh, we, our church is similar in some ways to, to Restore in that we have a lot of military, mostly from Cherry Point, kind of that direction. Uh, every once in a while we'll get somebody from this direction, but now we, we kind of steer them towards Restore. Uh, but Josh attended. He was a, a young Marine when we met him, I think maybe his first duty station, um, and he was there several years, and so we were kind of, uh, we saw some potential in him, and we had had some conversations about kind of mentoring him into the ministry. Well, in the middle of all that, Roger calls and says, hey, we need a worship leader. What do you think about, um, what do you think about Josh? And, and we said, absolutely. You know, we, we always want to be kind of open-handed with uh, what God's doing, and so we, we did send Josh off. And I, I just want to admit, we, he was only partly trained when we sent him, okay? I want you to know up front, that's not his fault, okay? Uh, it's kind of like, like the young Luke Skywalker who left Yoda before it was time. You know what I'm talking about? So give this young Jedi uh, some space, but he's, he's doing great. Be patient with him, right? Um, and so we love that Josh is here um, doing ministry. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is beautiful. I don't know where he ended up, but I'm trying to look at him. Okay, he's up there. <laughs> he went literally to the very back row. I, like, I love that. Um, and so I'm uh, really proud of what Josh is doing. And I really don't know Kendra real well, but my guess is that Kendra is the reason anything's working around here. Is that true? Okay, so I love, uh, I love, let's give her a hand. That's right. She's probably not in here, but um, I love what God's doing here. I'm, I'm really excited and uh, 
in, in some ways, if you'll give me just a little bit of liberty, I feel like a little bit of a spiritual father in, in some very small way to this church. And our church loves Restore. Uh, last year was our 10-year anniversary as a church, and we celebrated that. And part of what we celebrated was you. And we pray for you often, and we want what's good for you. I'm proud. I, I don't know if you're supposed to be proud. Now it's like, you know, some of the things Jesus talks about, don't be proud. But in a, in a spiritual way, I'm proud of what's going on here, uh, that many people uh, are coming to know who Jesus is because of you guys. Because you're saying, okay, I'm going I'm to get out of my skin a little bit and go talk to somebody about Jesus. I'm going to bring them to church. I'm going to introduce them to Kendra or Josh or, or someone here or Roger. And I see that God is doing some really great things through Restore. To be honest, I see much more in store for Restore. And so that's my prayer for you, God's blessing upon you. Roger and I were talking a few months ago, and uh, I have only visited Restore once. I wanted to come for your launch uh, a couple years ago, uh, your grand opening, and in ministry it's hard. If, if timing doesn't work out specifically, I can't get away, and so I, I wasn't able to come that day. Uh, but I think it was in December, November, December, I got to come visit and just worship with you guys, and uh, I'm excited about that. So a few months before that, Roger said, would you, would you come and speak for us in 2019? I looked at my schedule, and I said, this is the date I can do it. We, you know, we had our 10-year anniversary last week. We're moving, going into a, a new series next week. I said, I got a little bit of a break. And I said, I'd love, I'd love to come. I'm, I got really stoked about it because I'm excited about what's going on here. And I said, I got like 10 great sermons that I would love to preach here, you know, like kind of my go-to, right, I, that I can preach without, without even thinking about and just things that are really meaningful. I said, what are you all going to be doing? I can kind of make one of those works. And he said, I want you to preach about money. <laughs> I said, cool, I can do that. Money. So you want me to preach about all the stuff you don't want to preach about. Is that kind of the way it goes? Um, so today I'm going to start a series, and I'm kind of joking because uh, I'm, actually, I'm, very, I'm very much joking because I think God wants us to think about money. And I don't mind at all. I can be the bad guy today and set the table for, uh, uh, for anyone who uh, maybe needs to think about this. I had a funny thing happen to me not too long ago, and I kind of frame it, this whole conversation, this way. Uh, my wife, Bonnie, and I... Um, we're at home one evening, and we were, we were sitting on the couch together. I'm pretty sure we were holding hands, and uh, we were looking into each other's eyes. Actually, I think we were watching Cupcake Wars or something like that. And, um, and so we're sitting on the couch, and this is true. There, there was a, a number that came up on my phone, and it was a weird ring on my phone, and it was, a, it was very much like that ring. That was weird. I mean, literally, it was that, it was that ring. How did you do that? Let's act like we meant that. See what we, technology we use here. Um, so uh, it rang, and uh, it was a FaceTime call, like a video call on my phone. And it was from a number that I didn't know. Now, the weird thing about a, a FaceTime call is if you answer it, they can see you. And I was like, I don't know who this is, so I didn't answer it. And I just let it, I just said no and, you know, whatever. 30 seconds later, same thing again. Same ring, FaceTime from a number I didn't know. I said no. And about five minutes later, I get this series of text messages. Now, I have recreated it on the screen for you. Um, the first text message I got said these words, you and your feelings? Now, I know I'm old. I'm as old as Roger's dad. And I didn't know that was like a real saying like it like some of you guys are younger under that's like a real thing right raise your hand you know what that means like 
somebody's being kind of, back in the day, when I was growing up, we would say they were kind of emo, right? Is that, is that true? Is that, innocent? is that right? Did I date myself on that? Okay, I'm sorry. Somebody's kind of being a little bit emotional or needs some space. And I didn't know what to say to that, so I just, nothing. And like 30 seconds later, I get this next text, which is, you okay? And this is transcribed exactly the way it came through. No question mark on that one. And finally, I was like, I probably need to let them know something's going on here. I had a lot of funny things I was going to, you know, say to them, like, uh, when you come by, can you bring some beer? Or, you know, like, just make up some stuff that didn't make any sense. I figured that way, at least whoever was in this conversation, they might get something good out of it, you know, or whatever. And so uh, I finally just wrote wrong number. Like, I don't think you're texting, FaceTiming, calling the person you think you are. And the response that I got from that was, word up. And that was the last, the last I heard from them. So I don't know what happened there. I don't know if I helped that relationship or if somebody was in their feelings. The, the best thing about it was, like, for the next month, I would text my wife periodically and just say, you in your feelings? <laughs> and so she really appreciated that. But sometimes there is a disconnect in communication, right? Have you ever communicated with somebody and it was just a real big disconnect? And this morning as we begin a three-week series talking about money, I get to be the guy that sort of starts this off. I'd like to clear up a couple miscommunications or uh, disconnects in communications that churches sometimes have, and and specifically maybe for me or even Two Rivers, uh, which, by the way, I I did want to say that if you know somebody in New Bern or in Havelock who's looking for a church, we'd love to be their home church, and so we would love to partner with you. We'd love for you to send them our way. I'd love to love those folks. But this morning, as we kind of start this uh, idea of thinking about... um, finances and generosity and giving, the series that we're going to do together, I'll start this week, is ATM. And it starts us thinking about money, right? You go to the ATM to, um, to receive money. And today I want to talk about the A in ATM, which is the attitude we have about money. And one of the things is that we, uh, we have sometimes some miscommunication. So let me just clear up a couple things. First of all, sometimes in our church, there is the impression that we don't care about giving or we don't think it's important. Now, one of the reasons uh, that people think that about our church is because, like Restore, we don't pass an offering plate. Have you ever been to a church that passes the offering plate by, down every row? And so when we started 10 years ago, we said, you know, we don't want people to give because they feel pressured to give. We want people to give because they're compelled or they're joyful or they're excited about what God's doing in their lives or they want to connect with uh, what we're doing. And so um, we do believe in giving. We just don't pass a plate. We simply want to make sure that people know that we care more about them than we do their money. And I think Restore has kind of adopted some of those things. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 simply says, Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I think sometimes when you pass a plate, and I'm not beating up those churches that still pass a plate. I think that's fine. But sometimes for somebody who's new to church, it may be a little off-putting to, uh, you know, the first interaction they have with somebody is the usher who hands them a plate, and then they're scrambling, trying to figure out how to give any money. And if you're like me, I rarely have cash in my pocket. Anybody else like that? I never have any cash. My dad, uh, my dad who's a, even a little older than me, 
heaven forbid, someone's older than me, but my dad, who was older, he was of the generation. He always had cash, right? And like, as I get older, I'm kind of getting more and more that way. You never know when you need a little cash. But my dad, he would, he would pull out wads of dollar bills. You know, like, he was like, Dad, what are you doing with dollar bills all the time? Why do you have so much money in your, in your pocketbook or in your uh, wallet? So we just decided that it was more important that people know that we love them. And, and we also decided that as a church, we wanted to model what it looked like. We wanted to be generous, so we wanted to give and do things outside of ourselves. And one of the first things we did as a church when we were just a few months old was we helped fund a well in Africa. And in 10 years, our church has given over half a million dollars to um, missions that are outside of ourselves. And so we want to be sure that people know that we love them more than we love their money. We're not trying to hug them so we can reach in their back pocket or purse and, and pill for money, right? That's not what it's about. So we, we kind of have a, a, a sort of a hands-off approach to giving. So sometimes it gives people the impression that we don't care about money. The truth is Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell. So in church, we probably should talk about it from time to time, and that's the genesis for this series that we're doing. The other misconception um, that people have had about me is that, that I don't like to talk about money. And I've heard people say, you know, David, I, I know that you don't like to talk or preach about money. Well, that's a miscommunication. Here's the reason. I don't have a problem talking about and encouraging us to do something that's, number one, good for us, and secondly, honors God. Right? I don't have any problem saying to you, and it's even easier because I don't really know you. I'll leave today and go back to Newburn, and you'll say, that guy came in here, and all he did was talk about money. Okay. But I don't have any problem talking to you about something that's good for you. And, and by you, I mean all of us. It's good for me. And it also honors God. In the book of Acts, Paul talks about and quotes from Jesus when he says, The Lord Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You see, the practical side of generosity or giving is that it forms good habits in our lives, which not only honor God, but are actually good for us. So today, I want to talk about the A in ATM and its attitude. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And listen to the things that he says, hey, you guys are doing great in these areas. And I think that Paul, uh, or I could kind of say today, there's some things that Restore is doing great. I love that you're reaching out to lost people. I love that you're baptizing people into Christ. I love that you have a vision and, and a heart for your community. I love that you see lost people as souls and have compassion on them and, and, and want to reach out to them. But also see that you excel in the grace of of giving. You see, having the right attitude when it comes to giving starts with understanding what God is asking. My wife Bonnie and I, when we were first married, and I got to be very transparent with you today, our family, Bonnie and I, have not always excelled in the grace of giving. You would think that the preacher would have it all together, right? That he, that he understands this. I'm the guy who struggled for a large part of my life with giving. Not because I didn't want to give, but because I had the wrong attitude. 
And I had the wrong perspective. When Bonnie and I were first married, we, we both worked, and I was a youth minister, and um, she worked at an office, and we didn't make a lot of money. We basically, though, learned uh, early on to do what we want with our money and to spend what we earn, right? And that sounds sort of simple-minded, but that's, that's kind of where we are. We spent money when we wanted to. We went where we wanted to go, and before long, we got comfortable. Basically, when money came in, it went out, and we spent it. Anybody else know that? You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody else live that way, kind of paycheck to write out to paycheck? And we would spend money on things we didn't have, and we would go in debt for things that we wanted, and we uh, were good at spending exactly what came in and sometimes more than what came in. And we gave to church some, but to be honest, we did not excel in the grace of giving. And then something happened. In 2004, Um, my two daughters were born. I have twin daughters, and that means they're born on the same day. You know how that works? (laughs) And they recently turned 15, which also means that I am terrified now to get in the car with two girls that are learning to drive. I don't know why cars aren't, for the first time in my life, I'm wondering what was, why do cars not have two sets of brakes? Because I need a brake over here on this side. Uh, actually, they're doing really good, but it's still terrifying. So, but when our girls were born, uh, instantly our values changed. We started thinking more about the future. And maybe some of you have kind of been through this in your lives. We started to make some sacrifices in the here and now so that we could do things like my wife stay home with them until they got to a certain age. And I think it was first grade. We made, we made uh, adjustments to our budget, right? We went from two incomes, and my wife, I think, at the time made a little bit more money than I did. And so we, we went from two incomes to one, and we had to make some sacrifices. Why? Because that was important to us. We wanted to start thinking about the future. Our new perspective included more than just the here and now. It included more than just what came in today would go out today or tomorrow. And we began to consider what tomorrow might look like. And here's where I want to frame this whole conversation today. See, when we realize that tomorrow matters, it will change how we live today. When we really start to consider and when we really start to realize that there is more to this life than just today, that there's actually more to this life than just the here and now, there's eternity. When we realize that tomorrow matters, it should change how we live today. Let's put it into context with God and church. I know that you guys have recently gone through the whole Bible in a, st- in a series called The Story. In the book of Acts, it's a study of the early church and so many things uh, that the church did, some bold moves that the church did as they took the message of the gospel to the people around them. There, there seemed to be a sense of urgency about what was going on there. Why? Because the early church realized that tomorrow mattered. And it changed how they lived their lives day to day. So my question for us is this. What would happen if we got serious about tomorrow? What if we started to prioritize our lives and even our finances, not around today, but around what might happen tomorrow and even into eternity? What if we really got about making the sacrifices necessary through generosity to reach our community for Jesus? What if we started giving like there was something at stake. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this story. I want to kind of unpack that for us today real quickly. Matthew 25, let's start in verse 14. 
Jesus says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So let me contextualize this for you. This is a story that Jesus told. And, and really, in the story, <clears throat> the rich man represents God. So this rich man is going to be away for a while. And he goes to three of his servants and he says, I'm going to entrust to you what's mine for you to take care of while I'm gone. And he gave them a significant amount of money. Now, if we were to translate bags of gold into uh, modern-day currency, a bag of gold would be about $50,000. Now, that's a pretty good sum, right? That's, not, that's no chump change. And so to one, one guy, he gives five bags of gold. So that's a quarter of a million dollars he gives to one of his servants. To another, he gives two bags. That would be the equivalent of 100000 And to the third, he gave fifty. Still a lot of money. The one with five bags of gold goes out and earns another five bags. So when the master returns, the one who had $250,000 now has a half a million the same is true of the one who had two bags. He earns two more from $100,000 to $200,000. But the one who was given one bag of gold, what does he do? He goes out and digs a hole, and he hides what the man had given to him. Have you ever thought about what you would do if you got a bunch of money? I mean, we, we do this, don't we? We dream about. Have you ever noticed like when the, when the jackpot of the mega millions gets like into the hundreds of millions and even up towards a billion dollars, people start having this conversation. They say, well, man, if I win that lottery, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Well, imagine being a preacher when that's happening. You know what people tell me all the time? Dave, if I win the jackpot, I'm going to build you a new church. That's a, that's a direct quote from somebody, right? Or I'm going to do this or that for the church, when I get this large sum of money or when this money comes through or maybe you're thinking, when I get the promotion, I'm going to give a bunch of money to the church. And I always think, oh, that's great. I hope you do. And I'm praying for you to win, sort of. But I always think, yeah, but what are you going to do with what you have now? Right? We like to think about and speculate about all these grand things that we would do with something we don't have. And I think God is more concerned about what you do have now. And what you're doing with that. It's important to recognize something here. The money that they are given does not belong to them. It's their master's money. And having the right attitude about giving starts with understanding ownership. God owns everything. Everything that we have comes from God. Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and he established it on the water. Everything that we have belongs to God. The very breath we breathe comes from God. The ability to work, to earn money, our intellect, it all comes from God. We are simply managers of what God has entrusted to us. We're not owners. In the story, it's not the, it's not the servants of the master who are the owners. It's the master. We're simply managers who are responsible to advance the owner's goals. Here's the thing. Tomorrow 
matters. And that should affect how we live today. Keep reading verse 19. It says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So the two first guys come and they basically doubled. They invested. They worked. They took the, uh, they took the owners, the master's resources, and they flourished. They doubled what he had given them. But listen to what happens. And the master says to them, well done. You've been faithful. You're a good servant. Then it says the man who had received just one bag of gold came. Master, he said. And notice he already starts making excuses. I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathered where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. See, we're like that third servant sometimes. We're rationalizing and making excuses and trying to convince ourselves and spend our time convincing God sometimes that what we're doing is okay. If I just would get to this point, then God, I'll give. Or, or if I get this promotion, then I'm going to do something. God, I know that you don't want to be, uh, I, I know you want to be happy with me, so I don't want to lose anything. I don't want to risk anything, but God wants us to risk it all. But we're too afraid, and we spend our time making excuses like this third servant. And listen to what Jesus says about this third servant. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. See, well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has two bags or ten bags. See, the owner is pleased with the two who have doubled their investment or his investment but he's angry with the one who did nothing why well he acted like only that one day mattered right he was only concerned with today he didn't act wisely with what was given to him he was a bad manager of what his master had entrusted him with and Jesus says as at the conclusion of this whoever has been given more Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So here's the takeaway. As a church, as families, as individuals, if we are faithful with what we have, we'll be given more. A lot of us think about this backward. We think, when I have more, then I'll give more. But what God says, give more and I'll trust you with more. Give from what you have, and I will give you more. Now, I can tell you that that is true in my life over and over and over again. People who are good at generosity have learned that lesson, right, that if I will sacrifice, and if I will um, be good managers of what God has given me, then he will bless me. 
We don't do it to get the blessing, but we, we certainly recognize that tomorrow matters and we give to God today. So I want to get practical. Everything that we have, everything that God has entrusted to us falls into one of three baskets. I want to talk about these baskets. Can everybody see these? Okay. Um, they fall into one of three baskets, either today, tomorrow, or eternity, or eternal. Right? Now, let's think about that for just a second. There, there are five things, I think, that we can do with money. We can spend it, right? We get it. It goes back out. We can pay debt. In other words, we spent what we didn't have yesterday, so now we got to pay back the debt that we spent before. We can pay taxes, and we all love to pay taxes, right? It's our favorite thing to do. We can save it, or we can be generous. We can give it to someone else. And to be honest, that's the typical order of priority we put on the money that we have. But what if we thought about what God wants for tomorrow instead of thinking about it today? If you think about those five things, spend it, pay debt, pay taxes, save it, and give, it really is combined in these three things, right? Spend it is something that we would do today. Pay debt, that's something we would do with our money today. Pay taxes is today. And save it would be something about thinking about tomorrow, right? And then giving would be something we're talking about the eternal. The Bible says that we should put God first. But typically what we do is come to God last. So if I were to take this $10, freshly minted $10, uh, $1 bills. Actually, some of these are kind of wilty. These are not freshly minted. Uh, Let's let this $10 represent all of the money that we have. Okay? Every, every bit of money that comes into our checking account on a daily basis. Here's what we typically do. We say, okay, today I've got to pay my car payment, my rent. I've got to pay for that vacation I took that I didn't have the money for, that I financed. Um, I've got to um, buy some clothes, and um, I really just need to go out to eat several times this month. Right? And so when we get our check, we say, oh, these things have to be done. We pay our bills, that's good. We do some things for our kids, that's good. And there's nothing wrong with spending money for today. We have, to, we have to do that. But what if we started thinking about tomorrow and eternity and, ha- and having that prioritized with our money? Right? What if we said, uh, I'm going to put God first in my finances? I'm going to take what God gives me on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. The hard work that I put into it, I don't think God wants all of that. But what if we said the first thing I'm going to do is invest in eternity? And what if we just gave God one-tenth, one out of every $10, right? Just one dollar out of this 10. We said, I'm going to give that to God. But I'm going to do that first. I'm going to decide ahead of time, right? And then let me encourage you to do this second. Put something away for tomorrow, right? Another 10% in this bucket, and don't touch it, all right? And then, do you think it's unreasonable then for us to live on the other 80%, right? If we just discipline ourselves a little bit, we can honor God first, we can put some money away for tomorrow second, and then live on everything else, 80%. It 
See, I think that's the way God wants us to live. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Give to God first. Save for tomorrow so that you don't have to go in debt for things that you need or want. And then live on the rest. Don't go in debt. Let me give you a couple of tips here. And these are not things that I've learned or live throughout my whole life. Don't go in debt for something that will immediately depreciate. Think about that. Don't go in debt for things that will depreciate. Things like cars and clothes and vacations. See, we put those things on credit or we finance those things, and then all of a sudden, now we're, uh, we're struggling to uh, put any money away or give to God because we're spending our money on things that we, that we did yesterday or, or five years ago. So be disciplined. Save money here and then buy those things. God doesn't say you can't go on vacation or you can't have a new car. He just says, put me first. You with me? Now, I know this is difficult, and it's not like I, it's fun for me to come here and talk about money. But the truth is, in my life, I've learned and learned kind of the hard way that if you put God first, things work out better. If you put God first... You know what happens every time I stretch a little bit? God blesses my finances. Now, I don't think we give to get that blessing because the greatest blessing we'll ever receive has already been given in Christ. We simply respond. None of this belongs to us in the first place. God owns everything. The very breath that you have to get out of bed and go to Camp Lejeune and salute your commanding officer was given to you by God. Therefore, every dollar that we make comes from him. And to be honest, church, it's selfish when we put it all back in our own basket. And it's generous of God to say, just give me a little bit and live on the rest. Because technically you're living on 90%. And maybe God will do something in your life. I wish that I had learned this when I was more like your guys' age, young church, in your 20s, because I'm the old guy, remember? I'm as old as Roger's dad, for Pete's sake. When we were young, we spent what we had. And I can remember years, and I've worked in churches my whole life. I remember a couple times, think about this, how embarrassing is this? The treasurer at the church came to me one time at the church where I was a youth minister and said, Dave, I need to talk to you. Um, The check you guys wrote to the church last week bounced. Right? How embarrassing. Because I, I didn't really understand this. And every time we got money, we spent what we had, and we spent money on things we, we spent on things that we didn't have the money for. But only as I've grown and as I have hopefully matured, I'm starting to kind of get this. Prioritizing. Giving back to God first. And my finances have gotten better and better. And my discipline that I have uh, learned through the years comes back to me in so many different ways. See, when we realize that tomorrow matters, it changes how we live today. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're so thankful for how you have loved us. And God, I just simply pray that in my heart, Lord, and I pray that it's easy for me to come in and say things. Nobody here really knows me. 
But Lord, I, w- I want this church to know my heart is that, that you would be first in my life. That I would excel in the grace of giving. That I would be generous. That I would give to you first, Lord. Lord, Scripture says that we love you because you first loved us. So Lord, we give to you because you have given first to us in abundance. So Lord, I I just pray that you would challenge us. Lord, help us to maybe go home today and pray and talk to each other, talk to our spouses, talk about this with our family and say, where can we do, where can we start to say, God, we want to put you first. Maybe it's not 10%, but maybe it's 5%. But maybe it's something. Start where you are. Not waiting for some big windfall before we, we do something. Lord, we know that you're not worried about what might happen. You're worried about what has happened and what we have today. So, Lord, help us to be faithful. And we love you for first loving us and for giving us Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.